You're listening to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast presented by Spartan Combat. Let's go. I sense your content with a limit or a summit, a point at which you peak, a zenith you seek as I expand and extend contents from each end of the spectrum. Yes, there's always room for progress. The mind is boundless. In fact, it's the bottomless abyss. Releasing information to transmit, I absorb, then utilize, record, then modify each element, making the content efficient, then disperse or insert in channels and research. The passage map this graphics, complex patterns emerge to the surfaces. The substance is rugged. I run amok with the concept. Sounds at the pace, then I accelerate. Full throttle, without the bull, not verbicidal. I'll begin this era with some endless terror, then continue with spectacular, suitable vernacular, and roll over mountains of info with a vertigo, boundless. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. This is your host, Ryan Warner. I'm currently on vacation in beautiful Kona, Hawaii. So last week and this week, we'll only do one episode. And then next week, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming of two episodes a week. But in the meantime, let me give you this episode with Johnny Johnson, J-Rock as he's known, one of the top youth coaches in the country. He's based out of New Jersey and runs the club Raw 241. He's worked with the likes of Brett Matter, Jordan Burroughs, Darian Caldwell, the list goes on. And he has an incredible passion for wrestling to boot. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this podcast. Fan of the week goes to EJ Newton. That's at Newton underscore EJ on Twitter. Really appreciate your support, man. Thank you so much. And that's it, folks. Let's get to the podcast with the great Johnny J-Rock Johnson. Why don't you just uh, introduce yourself to the listeners here? Who are we hearing from? Yeah, um, been hiding out in these uh, in these shadows and these dark corners for years. Um, just doing some work but behind the curtain a little bit with, with a lot of guys. Uh, been in business. This is my uh, 26th year in business after the conclusion of this season. Uh, under the auspices of Raw 2 for 1, we've been in business for 21 years. We pretty much started like 1999, late 99. Uh, but then before that, I was just J-Rock helping some kids out. Uh, and that started in 95. First ever student was Brett Matter. Uh, some people may know him as uh, NCAA Division I national champ, 157 pounds, University of Pennsylvania. 
Uh, he was a, a monster at UPenn, two-time All-American. He won EIWAs every year, won 30-plus matches every year, uh, two-time state champ out of Delran, coached by Dennis Smith for the Delran Bears. Uh, he was a monster. His dad was a two-time national champ for Penn State, uh, Andy. So uh, he had a brother also that wrestled with him at uh, UPenn, Clint. So he's been around the sport. He was involved in a lot of stuff, and his dad brought him to me, and and uh, I was able to get my my paws on him and, and add some some small and uh, details to his game and help him out a little bit. And then the, the sport for me just opened up because Brett's dad brought me into the coaching realm. I had no interest in coaching or developing somebody or working with somebody. I had my own stuff I was trying to get going. And uh, Brett's dad pretty much gave me that direction. And once he put me on that path, without him even realizing he put me on that path, once he put me on that path, I was on my way and uh, just started doing things from there. And you're working with Brett. Oh, you're working with that. Just the, the, the numbers just built and built and built. And then I added this kid and that kid, you know, Clinton Hicks, Micah Khan, all kinds of guys that were making the state finals or winning state titles, Mark Thompson. So that first five years, aside from just Brett, that first five years, I had a lot of success. And so people were just falling out of the sky and I had to kind of figure myself out. What is it that I want to do here? Do I want to actually have a club and not just work with people? So then I turned it into an actual club, you know, gave it a name and, and all of that stuff. And then, uh, so we've been rocking and rolling ever since. And so you're, and what you're based out of in, initially the Jersey area, uh, when you were at Trenton state and you're out of where now we're in PA. So I've been in PA. Okay. I've been out, uh, I've been in PA for the last, uh, say five years. Uh, so the first 20 years I was in, I was in dirty Jersey. But my, uh, my, my talent pool is about five or six states, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, obviously Jersey, uh, Virginia. And then we tap into New York, very small areas in New York. We do hit some pockets there. Uh, it's very difficult for people from New York to get down to me because you got to get through the city. Yeah. Anytime you have to go through New York City to get somewhere, you got to add three to four hours on your trip. And we're going to get into some of the guys you've worked with because it's an incredible list. Let's start in the J-Rock family, though. Where did you grow up, and how did you find wrestling? Ooh, I, uh, well, I grew up in Baltimore City, born and raised in Baltimore City. Um, I lived, actually, for first uh, up through, like, second, third grade, maybe even fourth grade, I lived right next to where the Oreos played. So I was at Oreos games all the time, had my hat, had my gloves, went to all the Oreos games, Al Bumry, all of those guys. I was just – I was really into baseball. Um, the Colts were big at that time. Uh, so in Baltimore, the Colts are actually in Baltimore. A lot of people don't know that. So the Colts, before they got to Indianapolis through some nasty and grindy stuff, they were actually in Baltimore. Rest uh, in peace, Colts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so I, I, I grew up in the city and then we had uh, no, I had no brothers, no sisters, didn't have a dad. So I had no exposure to any kind of wrestling. Definitely wasn't a thing in Baltimore City. Um so I grew up on football and basketball, too short for basketball, basketball uh, way too short football, a little small, but loved the contact, loved the aggression, aggressiveness of it. Um, I enjoyed football for a lot of different reasons. Um, so I, I played football all the way up through pretty much through graduation, um, basketball. I'll explain that story a little later. Uh, played that up through uh, freshman year in high school. Let's hear it. What happened freshman year? 
So freshman year, so my mom uh, wanted to move me out of uh, the kind of, she was about to move. We lived in Baltimore County while I was in middle school. And my mom was about to move back into the city for uh, you know the next couple of years due to her job. So knowing that she was about to move back into the city, she wanted me to be away from that environment during my high school years. And so when she tried to move me away from that environment, she moved me into my grandmom. So I moved my grandmom into, so I went from Baltimore City, which you see lots of stuff on, to um, Morristown High School, not Morris in North Jersey, but Moores in South. And uh, it was actually voted the number one town in the United States of America. So totally different environment. Um, so I did that for high school. And then there, I really got introduced to uh, wrestling. I saw it in middle school because they had it as a middle school, like for gym. They had wrestling for gym. And uh, I had to walk out and um, I guess I won like seventh grade or something like that to be like one guy and uh, for gym. And then I had to walk out and wrestle a guy by the name of Nick Ridosi. And he was like a you know, state champ, junior level state champ. And here I am with like, you know, I got maybe 15 minutes of wrestling experience. He pinned me first. I don't, I don't even know what happened. But it was in front of the whole school. Um, the whole day, they, they cancel school for the day and run like pretty much the, uh, the wrestling tournament. So wow. every, the entire student body is in the gymnasium, including teachers, principals, so on and so forth. So everybody saw me get picked up and body slammed through the earth. Um, by this is in middle school? Yeah. So that was like, that was like my introduction to it. I was like, yeah, this is not for me. <laughs> um, and in eighth grade, I came back, I believe I won it in eighth grade, like, like two to one. I don't even know how I scored or what I did. But then when I got to Morristown for high school, um, I was actually, uh, this is, this is probably the most interesting piece to the story is that I've always wanted to play basketball, always wanted to play football. So I played football in the fall, uh, basketball in uh, winter, and then would run track in the spring, off in the summer. So uh, during the winter, I was playing basketball. I was a starting guard for the team. It's Morristown, it's not like Camden High or Dunbar or anything like that, but Morristown, I'm just playing for the freshman team. But for Christmas, for the holidays, I wanted to come back and spend the holiday with my mom. My mom still lived in Baltimore. So for Christmas, I came back, spent the holiday with my mother. So the way that the um, head coach, Mr. Wright, of the rest of the basketball team had it was if you miss if you miss any games, if you miss any practices, you will get demoted. So you lose your spot. And I was okay with that. That's your way of doing things. I can't argue that. So I left, went to the holiday, came back, came back, started on practices. So I sat out a game. Sat out two games, sat out three games. So I was like, yeah, this is getting out of control because I was the starter. It's like, how long are you going to have me playing this, you know, second fiddle, which I don't feel like I should be playing second fiddle. So anyway, the, the wrestling team caught wind of it. A lot of wrestlers were on the football team. So I knew a lot of those guys. And they were like, man, you should come over to wrestling. Yeah, you should come over here. And I was like, man, leave me alone. I don't know nothing about no wrestling. My last experience with Nick Redosi was not a good one. I did not want to revisit <laughs> that. Leave me out of the picture. So uh, they continued to, to encourage me and try to entice me to come around to it. So eventually, after sitting out another game or two, I was like, oh, I'm going to give this wrestling thing a, a, a try. And uh, the assistant football coach happened to be the head wrestling coach. And so he kind of strong-armed it and was like, Johnny, you should do this. This is right up your alley. This is X, Y, and Z. I was like, oh, wow, wide-eyed. 
right? It's like, oh, okay, I'll do it. And he's like, oh, a varsity letter, wow, like, you know. Yeah. So I took it. I took a shot, and the um, I got the first match. It was maybe a Tuesday or Wednesday night. We were wrestling Cinnamonson, which was a neighboring town, and um, I wound up pinning the guy. Don't ask me how or even why, but I pinned a guy by the name of Tim Widener. And uh, so it was, the, the papers went nuts. I got interviewed. They're sticking mics in, in my face at the end of the match. And everybody's, you know, putting out hot in the presses for the next day. I got my name announced the next day for the announcements in the morning. Everybody's patting me on the back. Great job. That was awesome. Showing you the newspaper clippings and everything. I was like, man, I could get used to this. Never mind the fact I got pinned in a double arm bar the following duel meet in the first period. <laughs> Never mind that by a guy by the name of Aether from Northern Burlington. I was already hooked. I was already hooked and addicted to this, uh, you know, the winning concept and what it could do for you and how it made you feel and things like that. So uh, that, that that's my story. It was an interesting way to get involved in a sport. Um, and I wrestled maybe like 15 matches as a freshman, went nine, seven in one or something like that. Um, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I was just out there. I was an athlete. I didn't like losing. Uh, so that helped me out a little bit. But other than that, I didn't know what I was doing as a freshman. But I wound up finishing second in the district. And uh, it gave me enough hunger and desire to want to continue the sport because that was a real question for me. Do I want to keep doing this or do I want to go back to basketball? So that was a real balancing act that I had to come to grips with. And after I figured it out, I was like, I think I'll try wrestling. It does fit my personality. I was very aggressive, physical, liked contact and things like that so I was like it fits my personality it's individualized I don't have to rely on a b or c or x y and z in order to be successful it'll be about me so I immediately started going to um, um, even though I was running track and all of that stuff I immediately started going to the basement and just started lifting weights and stuff I didn't know what I was doing reading muscle and fitness magazines hey look at Albert Haney and all these other guys with their what these guys are doing or Lee Haney what these guys are doing um, and just started lifting some weights in the basement how fun is that journey, though, when you start it and you have a new purpose? It's exciting. Yeah, wrestling. So so your your title is is me. It did change my life because it, uh, the course that I was going was something completely different. Basketball, never going to be pro level, never going to make it to even, you know, play point guard for the Tar Heels, you know, alongside Michael Jordan or anything like that. So I was never I was doing that more for recreational purposes. I loved it. I had a passion for it. I enjoyed it. So I stuck to it. Um, football was just too small. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, I wasn't, uh, you know, even the safeties today and even the corners are, you know, 225 pounds and stuff like that. So I was never going to get to that stage in my career. So wrestling actually did change my life because it actually all of the energy, the athleticism, the willingness to learn and the hunger and stuff that I had, it actually gave me a viable option, something that I can actually attach myself to and say, you know what, I think I can really do this moving forward, not just in a recreational sense, but to be able to utilize it and to have a purpose for it and help out a college team to help out somebody down the road, so on and so forth. So it really did change my life. The sport really changed my life. It wasn't it wasn't just the saying. It really yeah. did. It gave me a, a direction. When did you know you were going to keep it going after high school? Well, uh, so David Eisenhower. So, so my high school coach was Jack Welsh, who, uh, you know, God rest his soul. He was he was the he was the glue for high school. I didn't know what I was doing. And he was really good. Just 
he never killed me. Like, you stink, you suck, you got to get, I didn't know anything. And he knew I didn't know anything. So he did, I never, I never was under the same um, scoring system as other guys on the team who had been spending 10, 15 years in a sport. So he was yeah. a lot tougher on those guys. Um, on me. He kept you in it too. You know, I love that. Like he didn't run you out, you know, he kept you in it and kept you loving it. Smart man. Jack Welch was a smart man. So hall of famer at the high school level, South Jersey hall of famer. Um, but so he was like, Hey, what do you want to do in terms of college and things like that? And at that time I'm like, man, I don't see how a college team would want me as a wrestler. So, um, but he kept talking to me and explaining to me some of the process. And I was actually getting letters um, after my junior year, I, I took top eight, I finished seven. Um, and I was getting letters from people and I was like, how, you know, I didn't even know how to process work. I knew nothing of it. Um, so, but I was getting letters from Naval Academy, Bloomsburg, and Bloomsburg was top 10 at the time, Lock Haven was top 10 at the time, um, Naval Academy, so on and so forth. So I was like, this probably could work for me. Um, if I really, which I was already committed, but if I really commit myself I think I can really find some direction with this. And so from the college perspective, my senior year, I had the Knicks football, which that was my lifetime love. Herschel Walker, Tony Dorsett, Bo Jackson. I grew up watching all of these superstars. Uh, so to me, that was like, I was letting go of something I really had a love for, a passion for. Uh, but I gave up on it because I said, I can't, you know, I can't give up those three months that I need to learn. I need to work. So I spent the three months that I would have been playing football normally and uh, just uh, continued to do some wrestling practice after school, whether I was just grabbing a couple guys, a couple bodies, go in the wrestling room and work some stuff. For me, that was a lot because I didn't know, I didn't have a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. you know, the kids that I coach today, I got 10 year olds that are better technically than I was as a senior in high school. They, my 10 year olds know more than I knew at that time. So um, I just had a lot to work on. So I utilized that. And then um, I wound up, I was ranked number two in the state. I wound up, I was number one in the state was Van Doren from uh, North Hunterdon. Van Doren wound up winning it. I lost in the semifinals to Mark Farmer, six to five. Uh, Van Doren beat Farmer. I wound up coming back for third, beat Smith from Roxbury and then uh, two to one. And then the college coaches are running out of the stands. The high school states were in Princeton. Uh, Princeton University. So high school coaches running out of stands. Hey, what do you think? What do you think? Would you like to come? I'm in tears because I lost in the semifinals. Like I'm like, you know, snot bubbles the whole nine. My mom's like <laughs> back and uh, David Eisenhower, the head coach at Trent State College comes over and is like, hey man, you're pretty tough. Would you like to wrestle for me? I, I, his tone was different than a lot of the other coaches, number one. But then number two, my question to him was, you know, being impatient and not knowing enough about the game. I was like, I'm going to start right away. Like, I didn't know you should redshirt, you can lift weights in the off season, you can develop technically. Like, I didn't think of any of that. I didn't know enough about the sport to have that kind of insight. So to me, I was like, I want to start as a freshman. And uh, so Eisenhower promised me an opportunity to start as a freshman. I wanted to start and spot as a freshman for Eisenhower. That's kind of like, that's the springboard. And Trenton State College, D3 at the time, right? D3 at the time was the, at that time when I was getting recruited by Trenton State, they were the number one uh, team in the country and had won maybe like four or five of the last 10, 11 national titles. Uh, when I got to college, Ithaca was also good. Augsburg became really high quality. Wartburg became high quality. Um, and then plus us. So when I was in college, 
the, the those four programs were the tops. But during uh, the ten years before I got to Trenton State, Trenton State was was uh, probably the the top program over that span. What was the transition like into your college years from coming from high school? Yeah, d- d- hard. Um, I rem- I can recall a freshman uh, at my freshman year being in practice. Even a guy I beat out one because I had to do beat two or three guys to make the starting spot. Even one of the guys I beat out, uh, we were doing top and bottom. And uh, I don't know how long I was down there. Maybe seventy five hours. I got a pillow, uh, night light. I was there. I could not get out. And he rode me like a mule. I, I felt embarrassed. I actually got up, threw my headgear, and said, "I hate wrestling. I'm never coming back." I walked. I stormed out of the room. Um, and I was like, "I hate wrestling. I never want to do this." I mean, it was just. I just wasn't there. I, I didn't know enough. I mean, it was very eye-opening to see. I knew there was a gap. So you got to figure I'm operating on. So I had a full year my junior year, full year my senior year, three quarters of a season my sophomore year. And then if you add that with my quarter season for my freshman year, so I got three years of experience. Yeah. No, no off-season. Wasn't like Fargo training in the off-season, like nothing. It was just three, three months each year. So I literally had in my three years of wrestling experience, by the time I got into college, was literally less than a full year of experience because I only had nine months. So I had nine months of training. Imagine that today. Imagine a, a Mark Hall or Kirk Fleet or Gabe Stevenson. Imagine these guys, RBY, going into college trying to compete with nine months of experience. Couldn't do it. Right. There's no way. So I was so far behind and I didn't know how far behind I was, but I knew I was behind. And then when I got to college, I really found out how far behind I was. Like it was, it was eye opening to just see, it was like, you know, I'm looking up at where these guys are and they're way off. They're way off in the distance. Like I'm nowhere even close to these guys. So I I knew there was some work ahead of me and, um, you know, and, and I've, I've paid some dues and put some work in and, and, and tried to catch up. And outside of just just hard work or or just grinding it out, was there anything you did that enabled you to kind of transition? And because you were a three time All-American there, how, like anything you did that you can distinctly remember as was a big turning point for you to really move you into that next level? So I taught I taught myself wrestling. So you got to remember, so you're talking about, you know, 1990, you know, there's no YouTube, there's no internet, there's no Instagram, there's no Twitter. Uh, There's nothing to help you really catch up. So we're talking about a period of time where IP or Iowa public television, IPTV, you could purchase videos from them. So the Iowa versus Penn State duel, the Iowa versus Iowa State duel, whatever the situation may be, Oklahoma State, whatever. You could purchase the, the, the tape on VHS. I don't know if the kids at home understand what VHS is. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, so you can purchase it on VHS, but everything's four to six weeks. Nothing's like today on a smartphone, right? Like I want to see SATF today. I can t- type in SATF, a hundred things pop up. I'm going to see, you know, whomever. Type it in and it comes right up. Yeah, we didn't have that in, you know, 1990-ish. So for me, I was ordering a lot of videos from Iowa Public Television and uh, stuff like that later in the game, you know, once I started college, because I didn't really see any of that in high school. Mm-hmm. I didn't really see anything. I saw like one college match. I, I had one camp that we went to, I believe it was, uh, we went to a Penn State camp, because it happened to be in Jersey uh, at the shore. 
after my junior year and I wound up going to that camp and um, they showed, I guess, Penn State versus somebody since it was a Penn State camp. They showed Penn State, can't remember if it was Iowa or whatever. And uh, so they showed one match. So that pretty much summed up my, my ability or my capacity to see college wrestling while in high school was I got to see one match, <laughs> one match <laughs> on VHS at a camp, one match, meaning one weight class. Yeah. One actual match, not a meet. So anyway, so when I got to college, I was like, I need to get more involved in the game and learn more about who some of these stars are. And I was a straight nerd still in. Straight nerd. Boom, let me watch this. Let me see this. How's that happening? What, what are they doing? How long do they do that? And I studied everything as much as I could and was teaching myself technique. Popular athletes at that time, John Smith, who's the best American at the time. So I watched you know, as much of John Smith as I could. Very, very fortunate at my college, Dave Eisenhower ran camps clinics with um, John Smith on campus. So I was pretty much like, you know, I snuggled up underneath John Smith or what's next. You know, I was his dummy, show moves on me. I want to watch as much as I can, learn as much as I can, absorb as much as I can. So I got a lot of just small, intricate details from John Smith at that time. Two or three years, he was there for camp, like maybe three years. Um, but I was there every summer getting as much as I can and then just watching as much video as, as I could. But I was teaching myself, OK, what's this? And I was calling stuff names that wasn't a real name, <laughs> you know, because I don't know what the name of it is. I'm watching somebody do it. I'm watching Tom Brands and Terry Brands, too. But Tom won the Olympics with it. Watching Tom Brands do this spin behind on people and he would spin. And as you know, when people spin, the opponent sticks the arm out and block. To whatever side you go to mm-hmm. so what tom would do is have these double fish hooks so he would be fish hook and snap the guy he would not get his arms stuck underneath he wouldn't go to the front lock he would always be over the top but in a controlled fashion not chest wrap fish hooks in the armpits and he'd snap the guy and then block two hands to one to one side and then spin to that side and nobody could stop him whether it was sean charles or terry wrestling prescott which prescott was hurting that match but you get the point so that rubbed the tummy I'm sure they don't call it rub the tummy. I just call it rub the tummy because I'm like, okay, so what's he doing there? It looks like he's rubbing his, his belly in order to spin behind. So rub the tummy. And I've got, I've been teaching that for 26 years. So my kids know it as rub the tummy. Yeah. It's, you know, so I was teaching myself moves as I was watching matches and kind of without having the, the, the fine point detail of each technique, just what I could see on a screen and trying to pick up on as much as I could and kind of trying to um, formulate a style off of that. Um, best college wrestlers at the time, you know, of course, John Smith, but also uh, Jack Kubo was pretty good. 89 and 0 his last two seasons, two time national champion of last two seasons, 44 and 0, 45 and 0, wrestled for East Stroudsburg. But his style of wrestling was, I'm going to take you down and let you up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take you down, I'm going to let you up. I'm going to take you down, I'm going to let you up. I'm going to take you down, I'm going to let you up. So he'd have these scores of like 25 to whatever. And I was just like, what is going on here? Like, because you see so much, guys are like, learn how to ride legs, learn how to do an arm bar. You better have a good tilt. You better have your half Nelson to get. Like, so, you know, I that wasn't for me. I wanted to use my speed. I wanted to use space. I wanted to use my explosiveness, my athleticism. So watching Jack Kuvo, even though he didn't utilize those elements, his style of wrestling was two for one. Take you down, let you up. Mm-hmm. And so I adopted that. And then I ran with it and just used my own you know, hybrid style of it, hybrid version of it, but the two for one to take them down, let them up 
worked for me because I wasn't going, I wasn't going to turn anybody. I wasn't putting legs in. I don't, I don't want to wrestle nut to butt. I don't want to be caught on video like that. I want to be caught on the <laughs> you up, slamming you through the earth's surface. That's where I want to be at. It's a lot more fun to watch too. You know, Illinois is a big takedown, let them upstate. So that I'm with you right there with you on that. So if you were, I, I just want to pick your brain. You have this tremendous catalog of, of wrestling knowledge in your mind. You're one of the, the top clinicians and coaches in the country at the high school and youth level. If you were starting with someone from scratch, what's the first thing you would teach them? Would it be like a down block? Would it be a shot or would it be like more positioning type stuff? Stance motion level chain, double leg. And then that's your offense. And I'll come back to that in a second. And then defensively, I would teach you a rub that's coming because what I want to do defensively is to teach you not to let your opponent in. So I don't, I'm not a, I'm not, I don't co-sign any of this stuff with the, let the guy in on your leg, roll to your back, pull his leg over each other. I don't co-sign any of that. Um, I didn't do it as an athlete. I don't favor watching that style and I definitely wouldn't teach it. Um, I think it's a bad direction to go. Um, but what I would teach him is keep guys off your legs. You want to score points offensively, but defensively, you don't want people to score. So to give you a good illustration was Jordan Burroughs won nationals in 2009. He won nationals in 2011, 2009. He went five and zero with nationals. Not one person got in on his legs in five matches. Thus he never got taken down in five matches. Thus he took down everybody in matches and was five and zero. Yeah. 2011, same thing. Five matches at the NCAAs. He didn't let any of those five guys in. Thus none of them took him down. He took them down. He went five and zero, won another national title. But that's the concept. The concept is they shoot, they don't get in. The concept is if they shoot, they get in. Oh, now you can reach back and do this. Oh, now you can roll them over the top. Or now you can do your cement mixers and all this. None of that. Everything is keep the opponent off of your legs. So that's what I would teach young kids. And then from an offensive perspective, once you learn how to do a double leg, you can do any shot, high crotch or wrap center. Because once you learn the body position, head over shoulder, shoulders over hip, hip over knee, once you learn that, and you master that, then you can do the same thing. A single is the same body alignment. High crotch is the same body alignment. You can ask John Smith about that. You can ask Zeke Jones about that. You can ask, ask um, Stephen Abbas about that. Because they all broke. All three of those guys were in the Olympic finals. All three of well, John Smith's match wasn't from the Olympic finals. It was from the semifinals versus Reynoso. But all three of them at the Olympics broke that on that high crotch crackdown position, which is popular in the U.S., right? It's, really, it's a hot commodity in the u.s but what happens is the europeans russians the cubans you get in on their leg they just sit break that shoulder off the hip right and they take you for a ride and so abbas got hit with that maybe two or three times in his olympic finals with mad black you watch that match go okay. back and watch the semifinals with smith and Reynoso. over time it happened go back and watch zeke jones versus lee hock son it happened so what that's telling me is those are three of the best America's ever seen, right? I mean, John yeah. Smith, the best we've ever seen in the United States. And they all got beat in the same position. So that tells me that's a, that's a no-go, no bueno. We don't get there because that position allows too much opportunity. So I'm going to teach kids not crack downs. I'm going to teach them head up, double. If you don't want to do a double, come off the single. You don't want to do a, a double or a single, come off to your high crotch. But everything's the same. Body alignment's the same. And how did you start working with JB? When did that start? His high school coach actually brought me in for summer training. 
and which I thought was cool for them. Um, so Vince Jones is on the team. Vince wound up being All-American at Nebraska. JB, we already know the story there. Jamel Jones was on the team. And um, Vince's dad, even though I was training them there, Vince's dad would load everybody up into their car, had his little raw two-for-one sticker on the window, and he'd bring the guys to practices. So I thought that was really cool. I was like, you know, here's a dedicated man. Um, here's a, a committed parent to their kids and trying to give them the best opportunity. Um, so I like that. I was I respected that. I have an affinity for people who um, respect what I do and what I can bring to the table and will go out of their way and bend over backwards to make sure that they give their kids the opportunity to be around me. I respect that. So, you know, in kind, I gave a lot of that back. So during high school, I was giving training to Vince, to JB, um, Jamel, and I'll get to that in a second. So I was getting getting all of those guys some exposure to the game, some, some college level training. But at the same time, those guys were also, they already had a club before they met me. So they were already training with somebody before they got with me. So, you know, they had something going on with another club. They were dipping and dabbing with me. Plus they had their high school coach who was obviously, he brought me in. He's kind of had high school coach that wanted to stay on top of those guys and have them doing stuff all the time. So they were seeing stuff all the time. So I was, I was a very small piece of the puzzle for those guys during the high school level. Very small. It was a piece of the puzzle, but I was a very small piece of the puzzle. So um, anything that I was putting together, dual teams and stuff like that, I always had all of those, those guys in. Now, the only one that was coming on a consistent basis throughout high school was Jamel. Of those three that I named was Jamel. He came more than Vince. Um, he came a little bit more than JB. So, um, but when we had dual teams and I'll put my dual teams together, all of those guys would be on the team. Other guys would be on the team. So our dual teams were, I, I would put my dual teams with up against anybody. There, our dual teams were ridiculous. The talent level. And um, obviously we got a, an Olympic champ <laughs> on our team. And even in high school, JB wasn't, the, he wasn't the guy as people think of the guy he wasn't it um in high school he uh one dual tournament he went to um uh he got beat twice by nick nelson you remember nick nelson i don't right so that tells you everything you need to know about that so jb's this olympic champ and then in high school he's losing twice in the same weekend to nick nelson no disrespect to nick nelson because that year in a 365 day period nick nelson beat jordan burroughs twice he beat Scotty Winston, who was a Fargo national champ, BCD East champ, was ranked number one in the country, along with JB twice. And he also beat, um, Nick Nelson also beat Frank Molinero, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Oof. So the, Nick Nelson was a, he's a Shaler boy. And I had a twin brother, so they both were pretty good. Nick was a little bit better. And uh, they both wound up going on to UVA. Uh, but anyway. So, yeah, we had guys losing, and I had J.O. On, on our dual teams for years. Uh, J.O.'s been around us since he was, like, eighth grade. Um, so his cousin, Alex Mead, and J.O. is not a raw two-for-one guy, but he's raw two-for-one, if you, you know what I mean. So he, he's not in a room, but he's always around us. Um, yeah. And, and, and training with Alex all the time. Alex is like, here's rub the tummy. Here's low single water. So he wrestles a lot. He has a lot of raw two-for-one elements in him without being in the raw room on a routine basis. So he's a raw kid without being a raw kid. And I, um, I just, not just now, but about 10 minutes ago, connected the raw two for one, take him down, let him up two for one. I I'm with you now. Okay. Um, so you've obviously watched a tremendous amount of wrestling. Who are some of the 
top guys who have influenced your philosophy, either domestically or internationally? John Smith, obviously being one. So that's a good question. So I, I, I could take something from almost anybody. Um, so Arthur Tomazov, who's a three-time Olympic champ, three-time, one of them got stripped. But as he said to the IOC, come and get it. You, you want to come and get this gold medal from me? You come over to my house and get it. <laughs> I don't think he's got any knock-knocks. I don't think anybody knocked on this man's door. But anyway, um, but he's a three-timer, and he had, you know, like all heavyweights, it's collar tie. It's push-pull, right? So his one of his favorite things is he, he could do a slide-by with one arm. So you see, most people do a slide-by with two arms, and he would do a slide-by with one arm and then take the free hand, and instead of grabbing the head or the arm on that side, he'd go to the leg. Uh, so, I mean, here's a heavyweight and I'm learning something from a heavyweight and I'm a middleweight slash lightweight. So to me, I can, I can watch almost anybody and pick something up mm-hmm. from, from anybody. So, I, so whether or not I put it in my style or not, as I was building myself up and learning the game, I didn't really think that I needed to take everything that everybody was doing and add it to my game. I think that's silly. I mean, you, you watch a football team, they have a style, you watch a basketball player. He has a style. It's not like he's doing that LeBron's not doing everything that everybody is doing. You know, Tom Brady's not doing the same thing that Lamar Jackson is doing. He's just, this is what I do. I'm just going to be the best the world has ever seen at what I do, mm-hmm. which is, I really was on more of that, which is, I just wanted to be the best at what I did. I didn't need to do what other people were doing, but I did want to see what other people were doing. It always intrigued me to watch guys and to see how their brains work and what they were using as setups entry-level attacks how are people getting to people's legs and the more extravagant and exotic somebody setup is I mean usually it works more right so the so more advanced the setup is the more times that that setup can work on everybody not just on Tom and Steve down the block here but you know Rashid and, and Jamalov down the, <laughs> overseas as well down the down the caucus mountain <laughs> the caucus mountain so you, you got to have something that works against the higher level and um you know i just was i was in love with that stuff so as far as my style conceptually the two for one that's jack kuva that is not up for debate conceptually the two for one concept i got from jack kuva but his style of wrestling wasn't my style of wrestling you know, he liked the collar tie. He liked the hand fight and he would just hit the single to one side, which was really good for him. And um, from what I understand, um, he worked a little bit with J.O. on that. But J.O. does the same thing. So it's tricep, armpit, tuck, wrap to the opposite side. So that's Jack Kuvo. And you see J.O. doing a lot of that um, as well. So I did a little bit of it just because I was watching Jack Kuvo a lot. But it just wasn't for me. I mean, I, I did a couple of them. It wasn't my... I preferred space distance attacking from here. And when I see guys wrestle like this for six or seven minutes, to me, it's like watching, you know, eighties football where it's just handed off, run, handed off, run, handed off, run, handed off. Uh, My style is more like five wide receiver sets, receivers running all over the place, guys going deep, a quarterback that can, you know, so my style of wrestling is more wide open more than it is turn around, hand it off, turn around, hand it off. Yeah. That's interesting because the early, your early tapes from the Iowa public television, you know, a lot, as much as those Iowa guys are wide open, a lot of it's ear to ear, heavy collar tie kind of drudging around the mat until someone breaks and then getting into it. But I mean, they did have some phenoms too at that time that 
that could attack from space, but a lot of it was from that heavy, uh, heavy hand, heavy collar. Ninety-five percent. I would say ninety-five percent of uh, the Iowa guys were contact because that's the way Gable taught it. Mm-hmm. So it had a lot to do with you know rerouting the head in here, tugging on the armpit, passing the arm through, snapping arm. So his offense was the way that he's teaching it, the way that he wrestled. So. Again, I'm not saying that I watched it so much to take it and be like, that's what I want to do. I watched it because I was learning. Yep. I was just I was just paying attention to it. Whether or not, even if I clapped and say, man, that was pretty cool how they did that, didn't mean that I was going to do it. It's just, I was learning the sport and trying to figure it out. Again, didn't have the dad, didn't have the personal training coach, didn't have the off-season exposure, didn't have the 10, 15 years of experience like most college kids, so an average 20 year old college kid has 15 years of experience. Me at 20 years old, I had about less than 15 months of experience. Totally different ballgame. <laughs> Not even in the same stratosphere as these guys. So I was just watching to learn how I watched so much basketball and football, I could tell you anything. What hand Tony Dorsett like to put the ball in, which direction, what plays he like. I, I knew all of that stuff basketball the same thing wrestling I knew nothing I had no history of wrestling no exposure I had no family members that were exposed to it you know my mom and my grandma were, were my were my parents and they were they were the ones that pushed me through and it's like they didn't know anything about wrestling other than go get them shoot Johnny shoot like what does shoot mean <laughs> there's a million shots so which shot do you want me to take here so nobody in my family had any understanding of the game other than they just wanted to support me as a you know as a, as a family member as a grandson and a son isn't that crazy how much football and basketball kids watch as opposed to wrestling back then yeah i mean truly hours and days worth of watching versus uh wrestling before you know before the internet pretty insane what's on, what's on tv if you turn on three six and ten jersey it's three six and ten philly three six and ten you know, um, what's on TV, the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL. Yep. Where, where's wrestling? Right. You're not going to see that. So your your stars early on, my mom and my grandma both were always taking me to NFL games, always taking me to NBA games. So I was being exposed to these athletes. So I spent the first 10 years of my athletic life admiring and idolizing guys that were in those fields. Yeah. When you were when you were working with um, not Andy Matter Brett Matter um, I got confused there in the uh, you know late nineties you know the uh, the Dave Schultz incident was all too recent what was the mood like in the in that pen room and in that wrestling era in that late nineties just based on everything being so close in proximity to what had happened yeah that's a, that's a good one so we, we spoke a little bit about this before and it it was we it was a weird thing so for me. I'm an outsider in the sense that I don't go to UPenn and I'll get to that in a second. But then also I wasn't really a Fox catcher guy. I was recruited to Fox catcher by you already know who recruited me to Fox catcher. So I told you that a little bit last time. So I got recruited to Fox catcher. And then once I got around to having the opportunity to go to Fox catcher, that's when the John Pont issue with Dave Schultz kind of unfolded. So that blew everything up. So not only for that man's family and his friends and everybody else that was connected to him, that blew that up. But even on a small scale for me, it was like everybody was going to Foxcatcher. So you had Foxcatcher or Sunkiss. 
and a little bit of NYAC back then, you know, 80s and 90s, early, yep. early stuff, early to mid 90s. So those are your three homebodies. Those are your three stalwarts as a program. But Sunkiss and Foxcatcher were like the two biggest heavy hitters. And so for me to get recruited, I'm a little division three guy, uh, haven't been wrestling all my life. For me to get recruited, right, to one of those programs was like a big move for me. So I was excited about, about that and looking forward to that. So the DuPont situation with Dave Schultz kind of shut that down. But Nancy, Dave's, Dave's uh, wife, she actually was smart enough to say, listen, I don't want this man's memory to die. And um, I'm going to keep it going. And he would love it if we had people who were really had a passion for the sport, still had an avenue of which to train it. So she created what was known as the Dave Schultz Wrestling Club, right? And his widow, by the way, but created the Dave Schultz Wrestling Club. So the Dave Schultz Wrestling Club, I still wasn't invited to that either because that, that wasn't mine and it wasn't Foxcatcher, right? So she doesn't know that. So when um, Brett got into UPenn, Brett was in the UPenn room practicing all the time. I was there all the time. So I was practicing all the time with Brett. And he was like, man, you should go over there and work out with so-and-so and work out with so-and-so. And, -so. and um, I was looking at these guys that were like, man, these guys are trying out for like the Olympic team, you know, Brian Dolph and guys like that. Trevor Lewis, I was like, I'm not, I'm not there. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not there. He was like, you should go over there and work out with him. And um, so he's the one that pulled me into the Dave Schultz Wrestling Club. So then I got on the list for the Dave Schultz Wrestling Club. And I was like, man, thank you, Brett. That was a, that was a big move. Like uh, it was good to see him give back to me a little bit with me giving to him all that, all that time. So he gave me the opportunity. I got in um, over to Dave Schultz Wrestling Club. I was working out with, with uh, Lewis all the time. I was working out with Dolph all the time. And uh, it was great. It was a great opportunity to have that exposure. Um, so Nancy, what she created was she in a, in a tough situation, a, a tight, tough situation. She still created something and allowed a flower to bloom. And so she created that Dave Schultz wrestling club. And then that just, you know, she's not going to let everything fade. So that was a smart move. Um, and then it was a beneficial move because guys that was all out of UPenn too, the Dave Schultz. It was right at the UPenn campus. So I saw, you know, Brandon Slate was there all the time. Yeah. Uh, um, but, uh, Yoshi Nakamura wound up being on a team at UPenn. They, UPenn had a really good team at that time. Um, Roger Reyna, the head coach, Roger Reyna was, he's awesome. He's still awesome. He was an awesome guy. Um, I haven't talked to him in years, but he was an awesome guy in the sense that he was letting me in the room before I became Dave Schultz Wrestling Club. He was letting me in the room and working out and, uh, um, I, he has a nice little uh, video. They have a little video corner. You know, it's a couple of videos for each guy. And then I was over there all the time. because I was like, Brett, we need to watch this match. Brett, we need to watch it. So we were always in that corner of that video room, just a uh, video area and studying. Um, I liked Rogers that he, he didn't put any restrictions on me in that sense and allowed me to, to help out as much as I could. And I thought that that was pretty awesome. And then with the Dave Schultz Wrestling Club, then I just allowed even more, you know, accessibility. So I took advantage of all of that. Man, I've heard that between Clint and Andy, uh, I keep saying Andy, Clint and Brett Motter, you can't find two dudes who are more stand-up, more like morally sound and just like disciplined. I mean, can, can you attest to that? And what sticks out to you? Yeah, both of them are top flight. I'll, I'll tell you even something even way back even before. So Delran High School, Dennis Smith, I tell you, he's one of my favorite coaches He's, a, he's a, an opposing head coach. So they're from Delran. I'm from Morristown. It's, our towns are like this close. Okay. 
So I used to see Dennis Smith all the time, every dual meet, um, every tournament, like any district tournament, region tournament, they're always there. He was a great guy. Um, so he actually wanted me to bring me in as their assistant coach. So they had uh, Mike Jackson as the assistant, one of his former wrestlers, stuff like that. So I always had a good coaching staff at Durant. And he was like, uh, Johnny, you should come over. And um, if you want me, you can come over and be assistant coach. So I was going through like the high school and everything. And uh, he was taking me on like a tour through the high school. And uh, one of the one of the hallways has like these uh, they put the grades up of the students. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know how they do this, but they put the grades of the students like public in the hallway. Love it. Right. Yeah. Like Brett's like top on every like he's obviously he's a state champ. Right. But Brett's on the top of every scoring for any class that there is. Like he's got the best grade. He's just that kind of kid. Like, yeah, he was a really good on a wrestling mat. But that kid was a monster in a classroom. Like he took the same focus commitment that he had for opponents on a wrestling mat as he did in the classroom. Like he was just very straight laced, very clean cut, took care of his business on and off the mat and his brother, the same thing. And then there, his dad and his mom, they both worked out where I was working, which was, um, I worked out at Gold's gym, which Mike, Mike Jackson owned the, the Gold's gym, but I, was working there. I worked like five different jobs at Gold Gym. So I was there. I'm there at 4.30 in the morning. And I'm opening a place up and Brett's mom and dad are there ready. They're ready because they want to get on the treadmill. So they're all, so I saw, Dang. I used to see them all the time. Yeah, they just a very committed family, awesome family. Um, and I, I can't think of his dad enough because his dad, you know, before that was like, you know, you should coach. First, he told me I should wrestle. I mean, he's one of the first guys that said to me that I should I should wrestle beyond um, college. So mm -hmm. just to have that kind of um, somebody having that level of confidence in you was, was uh, you know, it, was, it builds you up a little bit. But then for him to hand me his son the way he did also was, uh, was even better. Isn't it amazing how the, the impact of a little boat of confidence from someone, it goes, goes so far and you never know who it's going to impact the right way, you know, but if it, if it lands, it can be uh, just a tremendous mover and shaker in someone's life. Absolutely. He might not need, I mean. He doesn't even, that's what I'm saying. Like, even if he doesn't realize it, that's why like anytime we can, you see a young wrestler, even a, not even a wrestler, it's like, why not give that person some positivity and some love? Because he may not even remember, like you said. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll go, it'll go a long way. It'll go a long way. Um, even the smallest, you know, little conversation can go a long way. And that vote of confidence to me, now keep in mind, you know, again, at that time, I'm looking up at everybody because mm -hmm. I don't know enough about the game. So, any, you know, this guy's a two-time national champ. He's telling me X, Y, and Z. I'm like, okay, and then that's, that's going to build you up. At the same time, even more to the point, and a lot of parents won't like this because we all, as wrestling coaches, have parents that are like, you know, around all the time. Yeah. Brett's dad, a two-time national champ, would drop Brett off and leave. So he wasn't that kind of dad that was like over top of every drill that he did and walked him through everything and screaming and yelling at him and you stink and you better get better. It's like he took a totally opposite perspective and stepped away from the games like that's the guy that's working with you. You're coming here to work. You two get together. I'm out. Right. And as he did that, that was just building me. I was like, man, it's for him. It wasn't just that he put him in my room with a hundred kids, but the one-on-ones and the, and letting just 
me and Brett develop and build a, a rapport together. Uh, it's just it's just unbelievable as a family. They're just a great family. Brett's a phenomenal student. Uh, Clint ain't too bad himself. I mean, they both graduated from Penn, pretty decent. Um, but but mom but mom and pa were were, uh, were A plus as well. Love it. And I love that they let you in because I have a sweet spot in my heart for first generation wrestlers. Um, it's just I really do, man. It's it's hard to describe. Uh, why or how I feel that way um, because like technically my dad wrestled but like for a year my grandpa wrestled for like a year so it's basically first generation and I can remember my mom and I going to these tournaments feeling like idiots feeling like outsiders not knowing anything and uh, it was just a it was a bummer at the beginning and it kind of made you feel like you weren't welcome you know and so but I've you know once you crack in you're in but it's like I have a sweet spot in my heart for those first generation families and I I love when they reach out and ask just basic questions you know yeah yep. let me ask you about this one Darry we'll we'll wind down here pretty soon but Darian Caldwell I've heard you worked with him was he a raw twenty four kid or just one of the guys you kind of mentored throughout his development yeah he was a raw two for one kid too uh, we had uh, Darian I, I would give. Cause there's a lot of stuff. I mean, there's so much information, man. We need like, we need to do this in parts. There's a lot of details to a lot of stuff, but um, the Darion situation is Darion was a style who already did like cradles and stuff like that. So he liked mat wrestling, but that's not, I don't even teach mat wrestling in a room. So he already had that. So the element that I'm bringing to the equation is the takedown game. You know, the little bit of movement here, a little bit of level change there a certain setup, how to finish on an attack, so on and so forth. So, you know, I'm imparting that into whether it's Darion, JB, or whomever. Um, the the one period, so we had a period there from 2009, let's say a 10-year period in NCAAs. There's a 10-year period where we had four national champs, Division One. Wow. So not include junior college because Jamel Jones won two of them. So it's not even, I'm not even talking about division two, division three, junior college, just division one. We had in a 10 year period, we had four division one national titleists and we had, uh, we pretty much averaging that six finalists in 10 years, division one. That's a lot for one program. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely one of the smaller clubs in the United States of America, small numbers. I don't have classes of, you know, a hundred kids, um, I don't have to break my groups up in there. Here's my high school group. Here's my middle school group. I don't have any of that. I can have a practice with 10 kids. I can have another practice. I might have 25. Um, I can count on both my hands, the amount of practices in 20 years, 25 years, 26 years, where I've had over 50 kids in a room for a mm -hmm. practice. Like I can count it. Like I'm probably at like nine. So my classes are very small. Um, but the groups that I have, Darion's, JB's, the Vince's, the Jamel's, the Cody's, the Mario's, the groups that I have, the talent is uh, we built the talent up. So I don't have the biggest room. Um, so it's not about quantity, it's more about quality for me. And so from that 10 year period to have six champs in 10 years or six finalists in 10 years and four champs in 10 years is off the hook for division one. Um, from one period from 2011, so it was one year, 11 and 12, from 2011 and 2012, Division One rosters or collegiate rosters, I had 38 former Raw kids, Raw alums wow. in college competing. That's just off of those two years of rosters. So 2011 rosters, 2012 rosters. Um, and then when I posted that, because I was going through all of the names, I posted that and I had a couple of guys jump in and was like, J-Rock, you didn't put me on here. Like, so I had another two, it was we're probably like 42 guys 
just in two years were on college rosters that were former raw two for one guys. So that's kind of the stuff that I'm into. I'm into getting kids an opportunity to get, you know, college is 50, 60,000 a year. Moms and dads, you want to give me X amount of dollars a year, but this is really what the end game is. The end game is so that, you know, uh, Taylor Walsh, they $58,000 a year to go to Indiana. I got a kid going to Indiana next year. Uh, Tyler Little, he was, you know, probably 60,000 now, right? For, for Indiana per year. So that's the objective. The objective is to give people opportunities to get in further their education while competing. All right, so you can compete a little bit. That's icing on the cake. You wind up being an All-American. You wind up being a national champ. But get that education. Darion graduated. You know, um, JB graduated. They all got their college education. And then the wrestling was just, you know, icing on the cake. Um, and then JB just took it a couple of different levels. I was reminded by Zach to talk to you a little bit about Darion in the sense that a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people don't understand Darion, the balance. Who was more of an athlete out of Darion and JB? The better athlete was actually Darion. He was the better athlete. I mean, he had more athleticism than JB. So they're different athletes in general. Um, JB is the better wrestler long-term. Yeah. The better athlete was actually Darion. A lot of people don't know that because he got hurt. So he got hurt when he tore shoulder. He actually got two surgeries. He actually had to go to fly down. To, I believe one time he went to California. And then another time he flew to uh, Florida. He had a specialist work on his shoulder and try to get his shoulder to feel a little bit better so that he can at least be, you know, functional on the mat. And he still was just having trouble. He just really couldn't do it. But uh, John Smith, when, Jay, when, when Darion was, he wanted to transfer out of NC State. So a lot of people don't know that. So that's an inside thing. So, he wanted to transfer out of NC State. So he was like, J-Rock, I think I'm, I, I want to get out. I'm thinking about doing something else or going somewhere else. So I said, all right, let me make a couple phone calls. So I called X, Y, and Z. So one of those X, Y, and Zs was John Smith. I got an affinity for John Smith. So I'm always going to call John if there's something up. I got this kid. He's thinking about transferring in. Blah, 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 blah. What's his name? Darion Caldwell. So we got into a nice conversation about it. And um, he remembered Darion at the time. And Darion hadn't placed yet at NCAAs. Oh, so, wow. his name, yeah, he hadn't placed yet. Uh, and John's comment to me, which I'll never forget, is that kid can be an Olympic champ. I didn't say anything to him about Olympics. I didn't say anything to him about Worlds. I'm saying the kid wants to transfer. I'm thinking that this would be a good spot for him to make that move. And I know he would come there and eventually become an All-American, maybe, maybe a national champ, right? Um, even I didn't know he was going to be an undefeated national champion, OW. Yeah. Even I didn't know that, but you know, he made enough progress and had the capacity to do that. Just had to be put in the right spot, do the right things and have the right timing. So John Smith, I thought would be able to, to offer that. Um, and John Smith said, man, he, that kid can be an Olympic champ. So he, John Smith saw even more in him than I did at that time. Right. And, um, but Darion wound up staying, he got all American. As a junior, he wound up taking fifth. Uh, he lost to Bubba, I believe, in the semifinals. We wound up taking fifth. And then uh, um, junior, or sophomore year. Then junior year, he wound up um, winning it. And then senior year, he got hurt. But, mm. yeah. But Darion is the best. He, of my top five athletes that I've got my hands on, he's definitely, you know, 1A, one, one 1B. One he's one of the top athletes. If he had wrestled international, 
Yeah, it would have been healthy. A lot of people don't know. Marion Caldwell at uh, 65 kilos, if he was healthy and he wrestled over these last, because you see he's still fighting, he's still healthy. He just fought last weekend. Mm-hmm. So his body is still going. If Darion had a 10-year career on the game, in the game, the way JB did internationally, Darion would have won a national, won a world title. Um, and 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 maybe even what John Smith projected is maybe even won an Olympic title. Dang. I mean, I, and a lot of people wouldn't even think about that because he didn't get a chance to get a get his skills out there. You know, like you said, due to the injuries. That is a. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy that everyone has some kind of you. I mean, of course, everyone has a unique backstory, but there's all these little moments that you know you don't think of him not placing his first two years and maybe transferring because he's so frustrated. Then he you know pushes through, right? Um, and it's just yeah, I know you have stories like that for days. And, and shout out to our friend Zach, I, I really like that guy, and he's just a, a wealth of wrestling knowledge and always challenging me with new points of view that uh, I, I typically don't think of. Um, I know we've been going for a while. I did just want to wind down with this. We've already talked about it. Name of the show, wrestling changed my life. But, you know, outside of the grit, outside of the determination, hard work, you know, what's one thing uh, the sports giving you that, that you often tell kids if they said, why would I wrestle? I would say I have a lane. So the sport football wouldn't have given me a lane that lasted this long, you know, coaching, I mean, mm-hmm. coaching career, 25 year coaching career, the sport has given me a lane. I don't think I would have, no matter how good I would have gotten in football, I don't feel like I would have been able to coach football for 25 years once I was done playing football at whatever level I was at. Basketball, the same thing. What wrestling did is it, it gave me a lane, it gave me an actual platform. So, you know, to be able to do what I've done for 25 years, 26 to be exact, and hopefully to put in another 25, you know, I want to be Roy Pittman, you know, in Portland, Oregon, who already has 50 years in the game. You know, I want to be that. So in 25 years, I want to be able to have to look back and say, man, I, I really gave to the sport what I thought the sport gave me. It gave me some discipline, gave me some structure, gave me some guidance, gave me direction. Uh, allowed me to focus, give me a, um, give me a vessel to jump on and be aggressive and physical. And then you can step off of the vessel and then be, you know, whoever the hell you want to be. And so for me, a lot of stuff is like, uh, like which I wanted to, would, wanted to share with you. Like I used a lot of stuff in wrestling. Um, Cause I used, I was in a music group. We were in a rap group. You know, I've been in a rap group since I was in high school. So when I got involved in wrestling, I even was taking things that I was doing in wrestling and throwing some of it at sometimes into the music, you know, just the, the concept of competition, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how you approach um, big meets and the mindset and everything like that. So I was implementing a lot of that and streamlining it right into a lot of the music, the rhymes, the stuff that I was doing. So I'm very exact on everything that I do. So if I do a setup, I hear a lot of people say, when you get in on the leg, you want to fight like hell to finish. I don't agree with that by any stretch of the imagination. I feel like by the time I get to the leg, I should be a nanosecond away from putting a deuce on the board. All the work has to be done on the front end for me because I'm exact. So it's going to be the stance motion level change. Then it's going to be the setup. Then it's going to be the shot, head position, body position. And then the, the finish should be easy. So that's kind of where I was with it. And then I, I rhymed that way. I put my music together that way where I'm very exact 
I do all my stuff on the front end. So on the front end, I don't do a lot of freestyling. Freestyling is on the back end where you just, you know, somebody says a, a word and you rhyme everything to that word or somebody says a topic, you know, and then you rhyme everything to that topic. I was very, um, I was very much on the front end, which is I was prearranged mm-hmm. everything. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and I want things to lay out like this. And then, you know, so that's how I wrestle. Yeah. So I tell my kids, don't dive. Don't just dive in on the leg. You better have those first three things in place before you go diving in on somebody's leg. I love it, man. I love the thoroughness at which you prepare it and you're in your system. I can just tell how, how meticulous you are with it. And, you know, if I'm ever out on the East coast, I would love to come into a practice and to see how you run the room. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I missed you the other day. That would have been perfect time. It, that was, that was one of the most hellacious travel trips in my life. I missed a flight. My check baggage ended up going to Newark. I landed in LaGuardia, had to catch an Uber from LaGuardia to Newark at like rush hour, then drive to Philly. It was horrible. And I was only in town for like, uh, like 18 hours. And I didn't realize how bad West Philly was. I thought, Penn. Yeah. I stayed, oh my God, I was in a horrible place. And the next day, all the guys were coming over for the interviews and I was almost embarrassed like where I was staying because I didn't want them to think that that's the kind of operation I was running. But I thought Penn was in a nice area. You know, I just didn't know. But I mean, of course, all the neighbors were super kind and it was nice, but I was, it was a crazy trip. (laughs) Just to say the least, man, crazy. Yeah, next time you come out, man, come in, do dinner, you check out the practice, but do the whole nine. So take your time. We'd definitely love to have you through here. It'd be great, man. I really appreciate you taking some time today. J-Rock, always a pleasure, man. Thanks again for your time. I don't I don't want you to go. I want you to hold on for a second. I'm here. You got a minute? I got it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop I'm gonna drop a verse for these young kids. All right. Let's... So I'm gonna I'm gonna put out a, a, a rhyme from when I was a senior in high school. Um, and from my, our rap group, the VAA, Verbal Assault Alliance. And I've always been J-Rock, so it's just, I'm J-Rock. But I'll give you a verse. So this has no N-word, no B-word, no, no misogyny, no, you know, <laughs> nothing. I don't go any of those directions. I don't tell you how much money I make, how many drugs I sold, none of that. So this, this is rhyming without any of that. So just think about that as you're taking it in. But I'll give you a quick verse. Song is called Boundless. B-O-U-N-D-L-E-S-S. This was the first verse. I sent your content with a limit or a summit, a point at which you peak, a zenith you seek as I expand and extend contents from each end of the spectrum. Yes, there's always room for progress. The mind is boundless. In fact, it's a bottomless abyss. Releasing information to transmit, I absorb, then utilize, record, then modify each element, making the content efficient, then disperse or insert in channels and research. The passage map this graphics, complex patterns emerge to the surface. If the substance is rugged, I run amok with the concept. Sounds at the pace, then I accelerate. Full throttle, without the bull, not verbicidal. I'll begin this era with some endless terror, then continue with spectacular, suitable vernacular, and roll over mountains of info with a vertigo, boundless. Man, that was awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I, that there's a lot. I, I, I'm when we when I go through the transcripts, there's a lot there. I want to unpack it. That was how many songs have you done? Would you say that you've like uh, wrote? So, so as a group, we we've got enough for about two albums, I and mean, we just didn't have that exposure way back then. As solo songs, I've done about four. Boundless is one of them. Boundless and Warpath being my best two. Um, Jeff Moretti will tell you about, uh, if you know Jeff Moretti, another PA wrestling coach, but he would tell you about Warpath. Warpath was my first solo that 
we did and boundless. We opened up for a lot of stars, you know, KRS-One, if anybody knows about this, old school guys, leaders in a new school, uh, opened up for them. Uh, we've been around, done a couple of shows and things like that, small scale. Those were big scale uh, names, but we were small scale. Right. And that's why we're opening up just as locals. And uh, we've, I, I stayed in the game writing lyrics and songs for years. I mean, I still write stuff now for, I wrote a song for JP leading up to the Olympics for 2012 Olympics called All I See Is Gold. Uh, and me, uh, Ka, San, a couple guys that we were on the same group from years ago. So you can check that. Your parents can check that out. Kids can check that one out. Is uh, All I See Is Gold from you then? Is that what we're... So that the term is from him. Okay. But other people have used the term. There's another uh, girl that she has some song. But I used his term and then applied it to the song and then uh, wrote up a song for him for All I See Is Gold leading up to the Olympics. We got to get the songs produced, get them out there on Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube. That'd be awesome. Check them out. It's up on YouTube. Oh, it is? Okay, perfect. What's it under? All I See Is Gold, uh, J-Rock? All I See Is Gold, yep. And just put it up. It'll come right up. I'm going to put it in the show notes. I'm going to go listen to it right now. Check it out, man. Awesome. Thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. And that's the end of this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Thank you so much for tuning in. To watch the full video interview, go to YouTube Wrestling Changed My Life. And that's it. We'll see you next time.